I'll be reading Philippians 3, 2 through 3. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus. Put no confidence in the flesh. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Jason. Let's, uh, let's pray, shall we? Holy Father, it is uh, finished. It is done. Salvation has come to the world because of what you have done in the face of Jesus. And so, uh, God, we want to make much of that this morning. Lord, we want to sit before your throne of grace, Lord Jesus, not because of what we have done, not because we are deserving. Lord Jesus, you know my sin before you is great. This week, my sin before you is great. But we come because you have qualified us in the face of Jesus this morning. That you uh, canceled the record of debt that stood before us with its legal demands. This you nailed into the cross. So we, we come, Lord Jesus, boldly before your throne this morning so that we might um, drink deeply of the reality that your gospel is sufficient for these things. Lord Jesus, we trust this time. We pray that I bring no offense to your word. Um, that I would speak it boldly as I ought to through your, um, through your power for the good of your blood-bought people, for the glory of your name. And all God's people said, amen. Good morning. Uh, my name's Jason. I'm happy to be here uh, this morning with uh, my family of families, this church family. Um, take that for granted a lot, most Sundays, actually, that we're a family of families. Um, if you're uh, new with us this morning, we are continuing uh, our journey through uh, the book of Philippians. Um, we've entitled this series, uh, Press On, and uh, we find ourselves in uh, Philippians uh, chapter 3, verses 2 and 3 um, this morning. Um, if, you, uh, if you weren't able uh, to be here last week or weeks prior, I'd encourage you to hop online and listen to those messages. Um, this book is uh, one book uh, with, uh, with a large theme centered on one person, and that's Jesus. And so I just know that you'd be stirred and encouraged by going back and listening to any of those that you missed. So i uh, just uh, submit that to you. Um, Jake uh, preached last week, um, and he uh, started um, by communicating the turn in the book in the book of Philippians. Um, most of Paul's uh, letters um, has like two large parts to it. The first is um, who we are, largely because what God has done for us. And then the second part of his books are usually the so what factor, Okay, this is who God is, this is who we are in relation to God, so what? Uh, we are turning the page into the so what factor 
last week, and we're going to continue down that road as we uh, move into the rest of Philippians. Um, They're generally not new ideas. Spoiler alert. They're just not really that new, right? Uh, Because that's not the purpose of the letter, okay? The purpose as we move on um, in this text is to be reminded and maybe um, even to further clarify that which has already been said. And that's what Jake uh, talked to us about last week, right? The end of verse 1, it is safe for us to remember. It is good it is profitable to give ear to these things again. So, it's not likely that you'll hear anything new this morning. But that's okay. Because if you're like me, sometimes you need to remember what you already know, not just always acquire some new information. And I trust that God's word is going to do just that. Um, Let's take a moment, and we're just going to look at the path this morning that we're going to um, study through, just kind of chart our course this morning. Um, I've entitled the message, Remember, It's Gospel Plus Nothing. Gospel Plus Nothing. And the way that I believe that Paul wants to remind us of that, the way that he wants to articulate that is by looking at two groups of people. Uh, the first group of people is described in verse 2. And those people are marked by what they do. And then the second group of people is found in verse 3, and those people are marked by who they are. Okay, so we're going to remember it's gospel plus nothing, and Paul's going to articulate this big idea through the comparison, juxtaposing really, these two groups of people, those who are marked by what they do and those who are marked by what they are. And we're going to develop that distinction as Paul develops that distinction in the text. And we're going to uh, see what he has for us. And uh, hopefully, hopefully, that will lead us to begin to answer uh, the question, maybe the elephant in the room, as it were, of what in the world circumcision has to do with you and I today in northern Colorado some 2,000 years after the fact. Another spoiler alert. It has to do with remembering it's the gospel plus nothing. So let's reread the text and then let's get on with it, shall we? Beginning in verse 2. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evil doers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh, for we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. So Paul begins this series with, a, uh, with, with three warnings. Right? He says three different times, look out, look out, look out. And maybe another way of saying that is like, beware Beware, beware, be forewarned, O church family. How do you hear those words this morning? These words of warning. Where's your heart at in relationship as you hear that? How do you respond to it? 
as you sit there right now thinking about it. I mean, there's a lot of different ways to think about um, warnings, lots of different responses to the idea of being warned. Some of us are okay with it, and some of us, if you're like me, don't like it. Just like there's something about me in my own flesh, I just don't listen to warnings well. It's not me. How do you respond to the idea of being warned? Maybe there's two uh, large categories that we could put um, our response into. Maybe the first category could be um, indifference to warning. Maybe the second category of response could be engagement. Like, okay, I'm, I'm ready. Like, with a willing heart. Like, tell me what I need to know. Is the warning optional to you? Or is it necessary? Um, when I was 14, I, I got the op- opportunity to go on a cruise. Anybody got to go on a cruise? They're awesome. Unless you get seasick. And then I hear that they're pretty brutal. But I, but I was 14. I didn't get seasick. And um, if you've been on a cruise, you know that you have to participate in a safety training exercise when you get on the boat. It's kind of humiliating, other than the fact that everybody else has to participate, so that kind of levels the playing field, right? You have to go um, get your life preserver, which is in your cabin, put that thing on. Smells horrific, right? And then you shuffle up onto a certain deck that they prescribe to you in a certain location that you must stand in to um, receive instructions about things that might actually save your life. And there I am, as a 14-year-old kid, like completely indifferent. Like, are you serious? We really have to do this? Like, think of all of the pool time that I'm missing here. All of the arcade games that I want to be playing. Whatever it would be. Like, totally indifferent to the reality that this warning might actually save my life if I have to participate and do the activities that they're talking about doing. Fast forward... Um, Emily and I get married. We go on a cruise for our honeymoon. Same thing happens, right? The first, I don't know, maybe like hour of the boat pushing off, we, everybody shuffles in, grabs their life jacket, puts it on, everybody shuffles up onto this deck, and they keep shouting out instructions. It's kind of chaotic, right? You got little kids running around, and there I am. I'm just kind of like, eh, I guess I really haven't been sanctified in this area. But this time, it's because I already know it, right? It's because I did such an awesome job listening to it the first time. I don't need to listen to it the second time. I've already done this. Professional. Okay. And, and then there's Emily. Okay, so that's indifference. Okay, that's, that's over there. And then there's Emily. Okay, if you know my wife, okay, she is like, she will learn from anybody. Okay, she's, she's a humble spirit. And she's just like, okay, so what do we need to do? She's like glued in to the instructions, right? She's like, okay, we're going to do this, and then we're going to do that. Jason, shut up. We need to stop, stop, listen to, okay, right? She's, she's like, she's engaged. And her husband is like totally indifferent over here. The, the same thing is true of driving, actually, okay? Like, by God's grace, I'm growing. I have more responsibility, so I drive slower now when I have kids in the car than I did when I was 16, okay? But, but the same thing is true. There's the, the warning, um, uh, 
road work ahead, and I'm like, yeah, I'll wait until I see the guys actually doing something. Like, not just some orange cones. I've driven through too many work sites where there's actually no one doing anything. Just a bunch of cones. So I'm just beelining it through there. Emily, you know, sees the sign, boop, 15 miles per hour, slows down. White knuckles on the steering wheel. I mean, she, she's just not indifferent. I'm indifferent. She's engaged. Those are two large categories about how you might respond to the idea of warning. Where's your heart as it relates to this warning this morning? Um, I shared at our pastor's meeting this week that I am in a place of indifference, if I'm honest. Like, I'm sure that I actually already know what it is that Paul wants to talk about in this text. Like, I wasn't that excited to teach on it. Maybe you're not that excited to listen to me teach on it. However, maybe you're more like Emily, and this warning is going to be well-received. You feel ready, and you're open to hear it. And I would submit to us all that regardless of how you answer that question, how do you hear the warning, how you answer that question this morning might give you some indication about where your heart is at in relation to the gospel. I know that that is true for me this week. And so remembering it's gospel plus nothing may have more to do for my ears than for yours. But I trust that regardless of where you are this morning, that the ultimate remedy for you, the ultimate remedy for my indifferent spirit is to come before your faithful daddy and be reminded of what he has done for you in the face of Jesus. And so, that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to remember it's gospel plus nothing. And Paul expresses that big idea by that comparison that I talked about earlier, this comparison between two groups of people. We're going to look at the first group of, uh, of people found in verse 2, those that are marked by what they do. Verse 2, look at it again. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. Most commentaries agree that these individuals that Paul is talking about are more than likely the same Jewish Judaizers, it's not quite right, the same Judaizers that followed Paul around in his missionary journey and said, okay, well, yeah, if you want to believe in what Jesus has to say, I guess that's okay, but really you need to be circumcised also. These individuals were proponent of Paul. They did not like Paul, right? You don't have to read the New Testament very long to realize that there is some kind of tension going on here in the New Testament between these Judaizers and the uh, proclaimers of the true gospel. But here's the thing. They didn't just dislike Paul. They disliked Paul's message. The message of salvation by faith in Jesus Christ. This message, the gospel, wasn't just like some small um, thorn in their side, actually. 
I mean, it's, it's rooted so much deeper than that. And so um, to do a quick 30,000-foot view, um, if you're an Old Testament scholar, you are going to be frustrated with my quick jump over this history. But I, we only have 35 minutes, so what are we going to do? Okay, so we, we need to, to understand this um, conflict between the gospel and the idea that you need to be circumcised to be saved, to be called people of God. We've got to go back to the Old Testament. So that's what we're going to do. Okay. We're going we're gonna to look back in Genesis chapter 17. If you have your Bibles, maybe go ahead and open it. And we're going to start reading. It also should be on the screen behind me. We're going to start reading in, um, at verse 10. Genesis chapter 17. If you remember, this is where uh, God meets with Abram. And he gives him the sign of circumcision which is supposed to be a sign of the covenant that God has created with Abram, which will soon in this chapter become Abraham. Here we go. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring and after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between you and me. He who is eight days among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generation, whether born in your house or brought, bought with your money from any foreigner who is not your offspring. Jump down to verse 14. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. Little odd. Little weird actually, a little bit, right, for us especially. But for us to understand the tension in the Philippians chapter 3, like we have to understand this. And so um, consider for a moment what this is actually saying, that if you want to be in covenant relationship with God, if you are to be God's people, then you must be circumcised. Like this might be one of the most significant acts of obedience that the Jewish men had before their God. And in comparison to be uncircumcised meant to be cut off from him. It's a big deal. We're talking about union with God, your creator. And that should shine some light on why in Paul's ministry, especially when he's ministering to the Jews, like this became, continued to be an issue. Because it was the sign of the covenant, your relationship with God Almighty. And so these individuals kept pushing circumcision. They kept following Paul around. He says, okay, that's fine. Maybe Jesus was an okay teacher. Maybe he taught some okay things. But if you really want to have union with God, like you got to be circumcised. It's a non-negotiable item. But here's the issue. Circumcision was, was meant to point towards something else. Okay. Circumcision wasn't the end-all, be-all thing. 
Okay? It was supposed to point forward to the covenant relationship that individuals might have through union with Christ, right? That's what Paul says here in verse 3, right? For we are the circumcision. Paul tells us here as well as in other places in the New Testament that if you have called on the name of Jesus, that if you have trusted in his life, his death, and his glorious resurrection for the payment of your sin before a a holy God, then you are the true circumcision. Colossians 2, verse 11, right? In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. That's you, believer. Now, Paul uses some interesting irony here to to compare these two groups of people. You see that? It's it's kind of ironic, right? That that Paul calls them... uh, mutilators of the flesh. See, Paul doesn't, doesn't call those who preach circumcision, or maybe we could say gospel plus circumcision, as those who are circumcised. That's not how he describes them in this text. He calls them mutilators. Now, Paul, why did you have to go do that? Like, what, what's, why did you say it the way that you said it and not just that you are circumcised? Because Paul understands that by preaching the gospel plus circumcision, that they're placing their trust in what they do. And by trusting in what they do is an inevitable sign of their destruction. Catch that? That's why he calls them mutilators because they trust in what they do and that road leads to death and destruction for them. They are proponents of gospel plus something and in this text it's gospel plus circumcision. It's not gospel plus nothing. They want to add something to it, and they add something to it by placing stock in their participation of obedience, which was meant to flow out of their already existing identity as the people of God. I want to say that again. So these individuals are placing stock, they're putting merit, they're putting their trust in their participation of obedience which was meant to flow out of their already existing identity as God's people. Think about that for a moment. When did God give Abram the sign of circumcision? Before or after God gave him the covenant relationship? It's after. Genesis 12, Genesis 15, right, are the, are the hallmark texts of God's covenant, his unconditional covenant that God creates with humanity, specifically through Abraham, Abram at the time, right? And then, two chapters later, in chapter 17, God gives him the mark of circumcision because doing followed being. It isn't the other way around. 
So we've looked at group one, those who are marked by what they do. And that's a gospel plus something gospel. Look out for them. Group number two, those who are marked by who they are. I got the opportunity to read this text a couple weeks ago, and from the onset, the thing that perplexes me about this verse is that Paul says that we are the circumcision, not for we are circumcised. Why does, he, why does he say it that way? Why use circumcision and instead of circumcised? Why did you do that, Paul? Here's the reality. I couldn't find an answer. So if you know it, and if I say something and you know it's wrong, kindly wait till after the sermon, but come up and tell me, okay? So the people in the second service won't be led astray, maybe. Why circumcision and not circumcised. And I, and, and I find it interesting, I, I'm not going to take a bullet for this, but I find it interesting that Paul uses, he chooses to use a noun to describe who we are and not just a verb. That if you are a follower of Christ, if you've turned from your sin and you've placed your trust in Christ alone, by faith alone, then this is now what you are. Not something simply that has happened to you in your past, which is essentially what a past verb tense would be for circumcised. We are the circumcision. We are marked by it. This is who you are now as a follower of Jesus. And Paul gives us three sweet descriptors of what that means in these verses. If you want to know what it means for you to be the circumcision, consider these three things. The first one, right, how we worship, how we worship, the second, who we boast in, and third, where we place our confidence. Okay, we're going to look at these really quick. First one, how we worship. A quick, rough definition of worship is valuing or treasuring. In relation to God, it would be valuing and treasuring God. Thank you, John Piper, for that definition. The Bible has a lot to say about worship. A lot to say about it. Um, I think it was like three years ago, Windsor Community Church did a, a sermon series on I worship, called I Worship. Like four weeks, five, six weeks, okay? If, if I would encourage you, because we, we are not even going to be able to like scratch the surface of what it looks like to worship. Um, this morning, so I'd encourage you to go there. Um, I also know that Chris um, taught a, a section in our Belong series on worship. I'd encourage you to go there. You will be blessed tremendously by it, even if you are here to uh, marinate in that again. Um, but we're just a quick, a few quick observations about the idea of worship as it relates to being the circumcision. Three things, really. First, 
Worship ought to be expressed outwardly by the way that we live our lives. Romans 12, verse 1. I think that this is actually the text that I worship came from, if I remember correctly. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercy of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and blameless, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. It's out there. Okay? Second, true worship is not just external. It's just not out here. It's also expressed within a person. Okay? Matthew 15, verse 8. Jesus is speaking. He says, These people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Because true worship has its impetus, and it comes from the heart. True worship. Third and last. told you these were quick. True worship is only possible by the work of the Holy Spirit. John 4, 23 through 24. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. True worship only happens by the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to you who are the circumcision. We are the circumcision. How we worship our God through our actions and our hearts empowered by the spirit of God. Quick and dirty. Second point. Third point, these two phrases. So we just looked at how we worship. Now we're going to look at who we boast in and where we place our confidence. I'm perplexed by this a little bit. Initially, a lot, actually. Is why does Paul use both phrases? We boast in Christ and we place no confidence in the flesh. Like, aren't those the same thing? Like on, on face value, I actually thought those were just like different sides of the same coin. So Paul, are you restating something for the sake of clarity, for the sake of repetition? Like what are you doing there? And um, I, I, I luckily, by God's grace, asked the question, well, wh- how do you define boasting? Like what, what does that word even mean? And then, then what does it mean to place your confidence in? in something. What does that mean? And so I, I think as we get a definition, this will actually create a lot of clarity. So um, the boasting is expressing pride in one's accomplishments. Expressing pride in one's accomplishment. And confidence, excuse me, really just butchered that. Boasting is expressing pride in one's accomplishments. Man, it really could have confused you. In one's accomplishments. Placing our confidence is the feeling or belief that you can do something well. So we're boasting in one's accomplishments, and we have a feeling that we can do something well. So what does that all mean together as it relates to the reality that we are the circumcision? Here's what Paul is saying. That if you are the circumcision, that you're marked by who you are, and that means that you're a person who expresses pride in the accomplishments of Christ. And that's not the same thing as saying that we don't place confidence in our ability to do things well. Those are different things. Let me say it a different way. 
Paul is saying that we place pride in what Christ has done, and we don't pretend to think that we are now capable within ourselves to carry on in the flesh. Both distinct parts, boasting in Christ and acknowledging our insufficiency, are necessary for us to be saved, actually, if you think about the gospel. They are necessary to be redeemed and called the circumcision. Because we are the circumcision. We are marked not by what we do ultimately, but ultimately by who we are. And who we are is all because of the gospel. The glorious person of the gospel who made us the circumcision, who causes in us to worship, right? To, to boast in Christ and place no belief that we can do any of that on our own. Gospel plus nothing. So what? What does that mean for us this morning, what does all this talk about circumcision and preachers of circumcision have to do with you and I? Well, let's circle back for a moment concerning that warning that Paul started all of this off with. We asked the question, how do you hear that warning this morning? Does it engage you? Are you indifferent to it? I said up front that where you are this morning in relation to that question, might be an indication of where your heart is in relationship to the gospel. Here's what I mean. Warnings really only matter if the source is credible to you and you care about the information that is being articulated. In this case, the source is God's word and the true place of truth and although we're not in danger here in northern Colorado of having uh, um, opponents who want to add circumcision to the gospel, we are surrounded by gospel plus something advocates, are we not? So I think we could say that the warning is very pertinent to us this morning. We're going to do something a little uh, different. Um, we're just going to take maybe 30 seconds, and I want you to, um, if you have a piece of paper or, and, and or a pen, um, you need both of those things, actually, um, a piece of paper and a pen, um, answer this question, maybe write down some answers, might be helpful to you, okay? What are ways that you see people adding to the gospel today? We're going to take 30 seconds, write a couple of those things down, and then we're going to, we're going to move forward and wrap this up. Just take a couple moments. What ways do you see people adding to the gospel?
We better keep going because somebody listens to this on podcasts. They're going to think that we lost the signal or something. Um, as Emily and I thought and we dialogued about that question, um, what are people adding to the gospel today? What, what, what are things that Emily and I add to the gospel? What are things that we're seeing other people add to the gospel? There, there arose a question um, out of our uh, conversation, and, and the question was this. Um, do we really struggle with believing that if we don't do fill in the blank, like that we're going to lose our salvation, right? Because there's a lot of overt ways um, that we see people adding to the gospel. Maybe one of the most overt ways is for uh, individuals who might say something like to, um, to, that you have to participate in certain sacraments like baptism or communion in order to be saved, like those are overt um, additions to the gospel. Gospel plus communion. Gospel plus um, baptism. And I, th- I think if, as, as Emily and I, as we're talking about this, like do we think that there's things that we add to the gospel that if we don't do them, we wouldn't be saved? And I think the honest answer is like, no, we don't actually struggle with that. Like maybe, maybe you do. Um, but, but we don't struggle with that, at least on the face value. And here's what I mean. Um, maybe you can relate to this a little bit better. Um, we trust that God has saved us. Emily and I trust that. That we are legal partakers of what God has done because he canceled the debt that stood before us with his legal demands, right? Colossians chapter 2. We believe that. But we both struggle with how our Heavenly Father sees us on a day-in and day-out basis. Like, is He happy with us? Is He a proud daddy? We also struggle to believe that the gospel is powerful enough to be the gospel plus nothing. This is where we're tempted to add things to the gospel. I don't doubt that I will lose my salvation from God, but I do struggle believing that it's gospel plus nothing when it comes to opening up God's word and preparing a message for you all on a Sunday morning. Because I struggle to believe that it's gospel plus Jason's effort and his amazing articulation that's going to lead towards life, life change. Some of you picked up on that joke. Thank you for that. I struggle believing that my standing before God and how he sees me as his beloved and perfect son because of Jesus is not gospel plus well, how well did I do in my obedience this week. I struggle with that. I struggle to believe it's gospel plus nothing when it comes to my kid's salvation, right? It's not gospel plus trip. Paul Tripp's a good guy, and he has a lot of good things to say, but it's not gospel plus Paul Tripp. It's not gospel plus VBS six times per summer, although that might be good. I struggle believing it's gospel plus nothing when it comes to being missional in my neighborhood. It's not gospel plus shared hobbies. Okay, well, then I'll do it. 
or gospel plus people that I naturally connect well with. I struggle believing that it's gospel plus nothing when it comes to difficult family relationships. It's not gospel, well, if you would just change a little bit. We, we can add things to the gospel not believing that it's sufficient in and of its own right. Do we not? Where do you struggle at adding to the gospel? Maybe for you it's gospel plus the number of times you come to church. Maybe it's how many Bible studies you go to, the amount of money that you give. Maybe it's gospel plus parenting outcomes or gospel plus your kids' obedience or gospel plus the music that you listen to or gospel plus serving in this church or gospel plus the perfect gospel presentation and then people will get saved. Gospel plus certain giftings that you value and you perceive that you don't have. Gospel plus good circumstances. Gospel plus financial means or gospel plus your health. Gospel plus dot, 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 dot. The list is long. And they don't always have to be obvious to everybody else. This is why Paul gives us the warning the way that he does the beginning of verse 2. Look out. Remember, it's gospel plus nothing. Look out, church, body, all of you who desire to press on for the, uh, the advancement of the gospel, like don't let our identity of who we are be usurped by what we do. Amen? Let us be people who would champion that it's gospel plus nothing. And we get to do that together. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. We'll continue to worship the King of Kings. Lord God, I just want to continue to confess that my view of your gospel is just not big enough. It's small. It's weak. It's inadequate. That I can, because I do not believe that it's sufficient not just for salvation, but for the power to get people to salvation that I might add things to it. Lord Jesus, I just, just confess that to you. I want to grow in pressing on for the advancement of the gospel, believing that it's gospel plus nothing, that it's sufficient, that, it's, that it is powerful, that you go before us, Lord Jesus. I, wanna be in, um, I want this to be encouraging to us that if we have um, believed in that gospel, that as you said at the very beginning of the book of Philippians, that he who began it in you is gonna bring it to completion. God, I pray, Lord Jesus, that we would, we would, we would cherish, that we would love, that we would so desire to continue to, to, um, 
to let go of things and hold on to you more and more in our lives, Lord Jesus. And so I pray that you change us, that you change me, that you continue to press into me the love of your gospel, that I might see um, you the way that I, we ought to see you and that we might see ourselves um, through the biblical picture that you see us because of your son, Jesus, Lord Jesus. And so I just pray that this church body um, continues to love that it's gospel plus nothing, that we would love it, Lord Jesus. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen.